Romeo Langford, done for the season. What adjustments can Miami make in game four? And if you're starting a team with a guy under 25, where would you rank Jason Tatum? It's a Wednesday, Locked On Celtics. Millions, let's go. Raining Jays back with the vengeance. Back. All the real Celtics fans in attendance. This is the truth like 34. Yeah. It's like walking in the garden when you hear the roars. The crowd goes crazy. Most in-depth coverage on the daily. Mainly podcast royalty, the content kings. When you talking about the franchise with 17 rings. Focus like Danny at the deadline. Global with it, got a local feel like the red line, the blue line, the green line. Play it in between time. I'ma throw my C's jersey on in the meantime and press play. When the F's done, I can't wait until the next day. Trying to stay in tune with the C's, that's the best way. Melly. Hi there, John Corrales here from MassLive.com. I am their Boston Celtics beat reporter, welcoming you back to another Locked On Celtics podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome aboard. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you enjoy it enough to subscribe when this show is done. The regular listeners, shout out to you for sticking around for this Monday through Friday podcast and some bonus episodes like maybe this Saturday after the Celtics hopefully take a 3-2 lead. They still have to get through game four, which is later on Wednesday night. I'll talk about adjustments Miami can make in the second segment, some adjustments they may be considering making. In the third segment, Jason Tatum on a recent hoops hype list, a poll of executives, coaches, not a huge poll, but where he ranks in the under 25 guys that you want to build around might be a little surprising to some, maybe not you Celtics fans, but uh, surprising to some people outside of Boston. But I'm going to start with just a couple of news updates, starting with uh, Gordon Hayward. His ankle is responding well after playing 30 minutes in game three. That's obviously good news. We saw Gordon Hayward have a big positive impact on game three and He's obviously going to be a very important player. With Gordon Hayward there, uh, he gives the Celtics another guy that the Miami Heat have to account for. It's very simple. He uh, occupies a spot that was occupied by Shemi Ojale. And, you know, we all love Shemi Ojale, but fact is that he can only do a couple of things. He can defend, and if he's hitting threes, that's two things. And sometimes he can't even do that. So, Having the threat of Gordon Hayward out there is great. His ability to pass in most situations, uh, especially in the middle of a Miami zone, that really forces Miami to play man-to-man, and they're not great man-to-man. That's why they play a lot of zone, because you can't you can't cover the Celtics. They can't cover the Celtics man-to-man. We saw, we've seen them try. Every time they try to cover man-to-man, it, it hurts them. And every time they're in man-to-man, the Celtics should just keep attacking because there are weak spots on that defense. So when they go zone, it is especially important to have Gordon Hayward because if you force them to play less zone, obviously you get a better defensive matchup. So the fact that he's able to respond well and that Brad Stevens says that we know now that he can play 30, 30 plus minutes, you know, in classic Brad Stevens fashion on Tuesday said, well, he's not going to get the 40, but he'll play an appropriate amount of minutes. So he'll play more than 30, which is great because off the bench, you play him six or seven minutes off the bench in a quarter. You're talking about 24. Well, yeah. So maybe more than that off the bench. I mean, you're talking about 
eight minutes, 32, 30, eight, eight minutes a quarter, 32 minutes a game. That's, that's good. And you play them in smaller stints, four minutes on, a couple minutes off, six minutes on. You can sub them in early if the matchups dictate. So they have, they have options there. And the few days off helps him heal, helps him get his legs back under him, maybe gets him a little bit more cardio, you know, something on a bike, something that's low, uh, low impact. So that's good. Not so good. Romeo Langford, uh, wrist surgery after the, the, uh, adductor strain was basically a, gro- a groin strain. He, I guess that was bad enough where it's pretty clear that he wasn't going to get any minutes. You're not going to rely on Romeo Langford in the NBA finals. So they decided to get surgery on his right wrist. It's, I'm not even going to say the bone or whatever, the ligament, but it's basically in the middle of the wrist and they say it's successful surgery. After a few weeks, he'll get back out there. Hopefully exercise whatever spirits that need to be exercised to get him back on the, on the court for a consistent uh, stretch next season. Like this poor kid, every time he went out there, first he has the thumb surgery before uh, the season starts. So he misses summer league. Then he comes in and has a groin strain. Then he sprains his ankle. Then he re-sprains his ankle. It's just one thing after another, after another. Then he starts to get playoff minutes. Uh, he's, he's in line to get playoff minutes and he hurts his wrist. I mean, just the kid cannot catch a break. So hopefully this bad luck is is over and the surgery will get him ready. There is, there is no summer league, but he'll have the opportunity. Hopefully, I don't know what the rules are going to be, but hopefully to get into the facility, work out, get himself ready for next season. Now, Romeo is an interesting player because we've seen him be able to defend Brad Stevens has lauded his ability to read the game, feel the game. So another season, which essentially would be like a second rookie season, kind of like what I considered this year to be for Robert Williams because of all of that, those injuries, it would be really important to see if he can, if he can stay on the court consistently, can he go out there? for the Celtics or for the Red Claws, however that shakes out, and show that he has the ability to be a strong contributor for the Celtics. And that puts, you know, Gordon Hayward's time in Boston kind of, there are questions about that. Does Hayward, what does Hayward do? And this offseason is going to be weird. What does he do? Pick Does he pick up his... His option, do they spread it out over five years? Do they do a long-term play with him? Do they think that essentially that eventually that Romeo Langford can can become the next Gordon Hayward with his ability to score with that length and defend? And who knows? And if he's got a great feel for the game, maybe he can be a, a better passer. So there is value in Romeo Langford kind of finding his way back onto the court and finding his way to staying healthy. I mean, he had a lot of bad luck, but it's it's not out of the question long-term. Not next season, but after next season, if you have an idea like what's Gordon Hayward's – what's he what's he leaning towards? Is he going to find a, a big contract somewhere else? Do the Celtics lean on Romeo to take that spot? How expensive is the team going to be? How much tax are they willing to pay? 
That's it's all it's all important questions. And and maybe you just simply say, "Hey, he he makes this team so much better and he's on his rookie contract for two more years after next season." Sign Gordon Hayward, bring him back, and now you have this awesome player coming off the bench, still on his rookie deal. By that time, you're really in the prime of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I mean, that's that. Maybe you just want to have more good players on your team. Why not? And he'd be cheap. And then you deal with the the financial stuff later. So, way too early to be discussing this stuff, but you know, put that thought in the back of your head because it's possible. Whenever next season starts, who knows, but the commissioner did come out on a CNN kind of town hall thing and say and said basically that the season's going to start no earlier than January. And you see some people kicking around the idea of a Martin Luther King Day start later in January as a possibility. Certainly a great date for them to start. It would be very symbolic. They wanted to start on Christmas. That's a big day for the NBA. The next big day for the NBA is that MLK Day. So if they want something symbolic, that would be a great day to do it. Um, but there, it does raise a lot of questions. And do first of all, the season starts at the end of January. It pushes the – if they want to do 82 games and if they want to do it in arenas, first of all, the real question is where do you play? Do you start in a bubble do you start in smaller regional bubbles now that you have a blueprint for how this would work and ask people to be away for a month versus three months and then schedule your season differently? Do you play in empty arenas? I know they want to play in full arenas, but you know we don't know what, what the COVID situation is going to be then. So do you play in empty arenas or full arenas or partially full arenas. And and instead of 19,000 people, you bring in 9,000 people. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but these are things that are going to have to be answered as they get closer. Like this season, the ending this season, this is great. And the fact that they've gotten no positive tests uh, has been amazing. And hopefully we can keep it this way because you don't want it to be something that decides a conference finals or a finals. But so far, so good. They have a way to do this. They know that they can do it in a bubble if they want to. Uh, If the players are open to it, a smaller, shorter bubble, regional, I don't know, whatever it is. But do you do 82 games? Because that's going to push the season out into right now. We'll be sitting here talking next September about playoffs again. And I don't know if the league wants to do that. Now, they could try to shorten things. Uh, maybe they'll do 72 games instead of 82 games. Maybe, they, maybe they're saying things now, as I've said before, as part of like negotiating tactics or whatever with the league. You can't say we're going to go in with a 72-game schedule. You can't say 82 for sure. Um, but you start with, we want to do it like we always do it, and then you negotiate your way down. That's certainly possible. I think the NBA would like to eventually get back to their normal schedule of training camps should be opening soon. Media day for this season was November uh, September 30th, 2019. So we're almost coming up. We're almost a week away. We are a week away from 
the one-year anniversary of Media Day for this season. And I think they want to get back to that and just put themselves on the same calendar as all the other basketball in the world. So we'll see. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to say. There's also the matter of the Olympics. And I know Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown want to participate. Marcus Smart maybe, Kemba maybe. I don't think all of them would make it because the Olympics, if Americans go, you know, that's when LeBron and KD and, and those guys would want to play. But still, you have the potential for at least a couple of Celtics on that team. And if if that's if that happens around playoff time, the Olympics start scheduled to start Ju- July twenty third. No NBA player is going to leave a playoff team right before the playoffs. What are you gonna you gonna skip the playoffs? The NBA is not gonna stop. So there's a lot to consider there. So next season still very very much up in the air. Up next. A couple of things that Miami's going to be looking at as far as adjustments. What can they do? What are they looking at? We'll talk about that in just a moment. Have you subscribed to the Locked On Celtics podcast yet? You can wherever podcasts exist, and you can follow us on Spotify. Looking through some of the things that Miami Heat fans are talking about online, the... Writers are writing about a couple of things that are, are standing out here. The number one thing that's concerning Miami Heat folks is the slow starts. They're tired of going down big early. They're tired of the Celtics taking double-digit early leads. Now, they've managed to come back, obviously, and win the first two games. They almost came back and stole game three, so... To say that the early leads have hurt them, yeah, they have, but not to the degree that they could have. It certainly could have been 3-0 Celtics, but it certainly could have been 3-0 Heat, depending on which perspective you look at. So the Miami Heat side of things, they're concerned about the slow starts. What happens for Miami? How does Miami change that. Eric Spolster was asked that and he said, look, it's not about how you start. It's about playing 48 minutes, which is sure. You want to play a full 48 minutes. Celtics say the exact same thing. Play a full 48 minute game. They're concerned about slow finishes. So they each have the same response to a different problem. But if Miami wants to start faster, how do they do it? A lot of people are talking about Jimmy Butler. Can you get more Jimmy Butler? Can you get him going earlier? I don't know that a focus on Jimmy Butler is the way that Miami wants to go. If anybody needs to get going sooner, it's Goran Dragic. The obvious difference between between games one and two and game three is Goran Dragic getting to the rim, scoring a bunch versus him not. Now the Celtics obviously had big leads in each of those other games too. And Jimmy Butler's not scoring a bunch. But I don't know that Miami specifically saying we need to get Jimmy Butler 15 points in the first quarter 
we need to get Jimmy Butler 10 shot attempts in the first quarter. Um, I don't know that that's going to be the answer because what's the net result if they get Jimmy Butler that? I mean, obviously, if Jimmy Butler scores 15 points, that's great for Jimmy Butler. What does the rest of the team do? What's the net effect? Does Tyler Hero come off the bench and do what he did? Does Duncan Robinson get going? Does Goran Dragic get going? Is Bam on a bio being found on dives, rolls, handoffs? What's he doing? So, watching what the Miami Heat do to start the game, what wrinkle do they have? I think it's more likely that they try to find a way to get Dragic going. Maybe you do some sort of stagger screen with Dragic with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. So you have to worry about both of those guys. And maybe Butler just finds his way into the mid-range area and just tries to power dribble and attack and draw fouls from there. But I don't think you put the ball in Jimmy Butler's hands and have him run all the pick and rolls instead of Goran Dragic. Because Dragic is just better at it. I don't know if they use a another combination on the, on the picks. Do you set a pick with Jimmy Butler? And how do the Celtics defend all of this stuff? I think they've done a fine job with Jimmy Butler, but also I think they're also fine with Jimmy Butler, if he wants to take jumpers, fine. Let Jimmy Butler take all the jumpers he wants. If if the result of this desire to start faster is Jimmy Butler taking more 16-footers, then great. Let Jimmy Butler take all the 16-footers that he wants. I mean, obviously you got to contest them, but if that's what he's going to settle for, then by all means, take it. And it goes along with the Jay Crowder talk about what happens when they hide Kemba Walker on him or what happens when they hide Ennis Cantor when he plays on Andre Iguodala. Are you going to attack those? You can in some ways, but I don't think Jay Crowder becoming a a focal point of the offense is a, a great plan either. Basically, anything that takes away from Miami shooting and the bam out of bio pick and rolls, anything that takes away from those things, I think is a bad idea for Miami. I think they need more of those things. And maybe you need to get more creative, but Miami's had their best chances in this series against, or I'm sorry, running through bam out of bio. I mean, he's been their best player in this series, I think, along with Dragic. But the Celtics, if they end up drawing Miami into that type of decision where it's it's their least efficient shooters taking up more of the offense, then congratulations on your 20-point win, Boston, because that's what's going to happen. The other thing that 
is, is being discussed after game three. Obviously, the Celtics scored 60 points in the paint. Everybody in Miami is freaking out. How, how did that happen? How do you stop that? Well, it only happened once. I mean, they did have 40-plus points in the paint in game two. The Celtics do. If, if Gordon Hayward is playing in the middle of the zone, then they're going to get a ton of points in the paint because he's just too good in that spot, and it's going to force Miami to go man-to-man. And if they go man-to-man, the Celtics are going to get to the rim. That's just going to be how it goes. And if they draw Bam out of bio over to help, then he, the, whoever's driving is going to dump it off to Daniel Tice or Grant Williams or Robert Williams or Ennis Cantor. Wh- whoever's there is going to get that dump-off pass and score, or should. So how do they stop Celtics drives? Does Miami go with more athletic players like Derek Jones Jr. and Kendrick Nunn? If you do that, you got to sub out shooting. So if the Celtics see Derek Jones and Kendrick Nunn on the floor, then they know defensively where they can load up. Because you're going to let Derek Jones shoot threes. Not let, but you'll live with those. And Kendrick Nunn can score, but if you see Kendrick Nunn out there on the floor defensively, you're going to attack him. You're going to really force him to make decisions. You're going to see if you can get that rookie to foul. So if Miami overreacts to stopping Celtics drives, then the Celtics have the ability to quickly adjust away from whatever Miami's doing. Bottom line here is I think even throughout all of we've seen, the Celtics have more talent. I think the Celtics are the better team. The Celtics have not played 48 minutes yet in a game. And I think these three days off can help them. I really think that the Celtics can find a way to win game four fairly easily just by playing hard and continuing to play through those stretches where they might normally relax. I talked about this with Jake Madison on the Locked On NBA podcast. We did a big preview in one of the segments on the Wednesday show. So make sure you're subscribing to the Locked On NBA podcast as well. I'm one of the co-hosts on Wednesdays. So be sure to check that out for more Celtics heat talk there. Also be sure to check out Built Bar because Built Bars are the best tasting protein bars I've ever had. I keep talking to you guys about my shipment that I I finally got. Well, guess what? It's almost gone. (laughs) I've torn through that box and now I'm going to have to order myself another one because it's a great way for me to get nutrients into my body after a workout, which is what I've started to do now that I'm I'm at the gym and I'm lifting a little bit more. I want to get the protein in my body and I don't want to blow away the work that I've been doing. So if you're health conscious, looking to lose or maintain weight, this is perfect for you. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. They're great if you're on a keto diet. The ones that I got, peanut butter. So listen to this, 19 grams of protein, 180 calories. I've already burned three times as that on my on the cardio. So it's not blowing away my cardio that I'm doing. Five grams of sugar, five net carbs. It's perfect for what I'm using it for. So you can get yourself a box of 
Built Bars by going to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code Locked On. You'll get $10 off your next order. Even if you've used it before, they reset the promo code for this launch. So if you've used it once before on the first go-around, use it again right now. Use promo code Locked On. You'll get $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Be sure to follow our social channels at LO Celtics on Twitter and at Lockdown Celtics on Instagram. Hoops Hype put out a little short poll of 15 NBA talent evaluators. Uh, they included four general managers, six executives, and five scouts. And they wanted to learn which players under 25 they've, they would build around and why. So they went through the list of players under 25 and these people ranked their five favorite players to build around. So in this scoring system, they said the top player gets five points. The second player gets four points and on the way down. So number one, Luka Doncic, which I agree with. I can see he's, and I wrote about this and I talked about this. I think that he's just, that level ahead right now of Jason Tatum right now, who knows if that, that crosses at some point, but the game just comes so easily to Luka Doncic. And I think that he's, he's a much, much better ball handler. Uh, Tatum is a much better defender, but as far as all around game, ball handler, shooter, uh, playmaker, I think Luka is ahead of him. He's just a natural talent and, I would I would take Luca number one. Jason Tatum falls number two. So you think about other people on this list. I'll just go down this list. Devin Booker is number three. Surprisingly, I didn't think Booker, would, but he he had such a great bubble. John Morant's number four. Number five, nope, not Zion. Donovan Mitchell, again, huge bubble uh, performance. Number five, tied with him, Bam Adebayo. Then you get to number seven, Zion Williamson. I think that's a little off. I get Bam, um, but according to this this scout, says he's the future of what the center position is going to be. Look, he's an all-star, and if you're talking about building around a guy, sure. Um, I think it's a little overthinking things. I think Zion probably would be number three, but you know, Devin Booker's a strong player too. Uh, there, there are arguments to be made. John Morant at number four, he had rookie of the year, he had a great season. And his, the, the thing about Ja that scares me most is just how reckless he is when he drives. Like I'm, I, he's a major injury waiting to happen. It feels like, but super explosive. Uh, I think he's very good. I think the downside for him is what we saw in the, um, in the bubble where, where Memphis just kind of fell apart. So, but anyway, however you want to rank everybody, I know some people here might say, well, of course Jason Tatum's number one. Okay, fine. If that's what you want to think. But Tatum at number two, I think is very, very strong. I mean, although as they say, one executive left Tatum outside of his five players to build around. So there's there are differing opinions here. But According to an Eastern Conference executive, he's an up-and-coming superstar player who's getting better every game. A Western Conference executive said 
He's a two-way player who's better than Paul George. He can get to the basket, shoot threes off the dribble, and he can guard the best perimeter player. I'm not going to argue with any of that stuff. I think I think ranking Tatum two, I think some people might put Zion number one. And they might go Zion and Luka one, two, and Tatum three. Zion is such a fascinating player because he came in, and I remember I took a lot of shit for saying that he was going to have typical rookie, rookie struggles. And he obviously didn't have the typical rookie struggles. But the fact is that he did struggle. It's just that he's so good that he was able to still score. And when he got the ball around the basket, dunk on everybody and, and average like 20. It's, it's ridiculous how good he can be. I think there are questions about his durability. The knee stuff is kind of uh, in question. Is that going to be recurring? His weight, how is he going to come back? I think we'll see. How does he come back next season? I mean, their season ended um, a month ago. So if the season begins, if next season begins at the end of January, that means a training camp at the beginning of January, end of December. What's that? Four months off? What's he going to come back like? What kind of shape is he going to be in? If he's going to come back chiseled and ready to roll, then watch out. But if he's going to come back and and you see like the pictures, oh man, he's a little uh, heavy. Eh, then we'll see. Eh. Then there are questions. Then, then there are more questions about is he going to be a natural talent that at the NBA level is is his body and his weight going to be able to withstand the eighty-two game plus playoffs bombardment? But in the meantime, it doesn't matter. He's such a transcendent talent. I can see I can see him being picked one or two. Now, obviously, they didn't do that here, and Jason Tatum's number two. I've talked about this for a while. We've seen Jason Tatum have superstar-level games in the playoffs. I think that he can certainly raise his game to match Luka, to match the, the top players. Is he going to be a top-five player in the NBA? I don't know. Where wherever he ranks, he ranks top five, top ten, top fifteen. Either way, any of those spots are are really damn good. Um, I think if he tightens up his handle, then that alone is going to make him much more dangerous. Just not losing the ball on his way to the rim, which you've seen him do a couple times, and that definitely not as much. But what kind of work is he going to do to put in? On that, on that handle. Because if he can blow by people and hold that ball and get to the rim and finish, then then he's just going to be impossible to stop. Because then those three-pointers and the sidestep threes, are you're, you're going to have to play off of them enough where those will be completely uncontested. Even if you try to get up into his face, it's going gonna, it's gonna to basically be uncontested. Um, the, next, the next step for him also, the vision, like he's seeing and making the right reads. That's number one. Make those reads, see the pass. This guy's playing me this way, boom, there's my open guy. In this corner, here, there, wherever. The next step, which is something that Luka does have, is the manipulating of the defense. Tatum's next step with the vision is 
I'm going to make these defenders do what I want them to do, and they're not even going to realize it. You know, where Luca does a couple of things and looks a certain way, knowing that by doing that, he's going to open up something for a teammate in a different spot on the floor. Whereas Tatum is doing what he does, gets to a spot on the floor, and then he reads what the defense is doing. He says, all right, here's my kick. Rather than creating that, these spots for players, manipulating the defense. And that's something that comes with time and experience. Some guys naturally do it. Luka naturally does it. And I'm not saying Tatum can't. I'm, certainly, I'm, I'm never going to say that Tatum can't do anything. Because he's 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 22 years old, so building around Jason Tatum at 22. If you want to take Luca ahead of him, I can see that. You want to take Zion ahead of him, I can see that. Sure, but I don't know how many other guys in this list. I'm not taking Devin Booker. I mean, Devin Booker can shoot and can put up numbers, but. I think Tatum is capable of matching those numbers. I'm not taking Devin Booker. Ja is a super interesting guy, but I think I like where Tatum is right now. So it's a matter of what you know, and I know what Tatum can do. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, same thing as as Booker. I, I love him. He's great, but I'm going to take Tatum over him. I'm definitely taking Tatum over Bam, although I love Bam. I think he's great. Um, Jamal Murray's number seven on this list. Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brown's on number 11 on this list, by the way, that's pretty cool above De- Well, matched with Darren De'Aaron Fox at 4% and above Carl Anthony towns. People are down on Carl Anthony towns. That's a little silly. Well, I think picking Tatum somewhere first, second or third, you're not going to go wrong. And Tatum has a few things to work on. If you can get that floater game down on top of everything, then there there are plenty of opportunities for him to raise his game even more. And this is his first year as a taking that leap and being a star player, being an all-star. And I listed three things that he can do just off the top of my head to make himself better and vault him into that superstar conversation. It's a great place for him to be. It's a great place to be if you're a Celtics fan because you know you can build your team around him. You also know you've got Jalen Brown, who's also on this list, right there with him, plus Kemba locked up, plus at least another year of Gordon Hayward, plus Marcus Smart locked up. Who knows what Romeo Langford turns into? A couple other draft picks, maybe a trade, free agent signing. Celtics are pretty in a pretty good spot. I mean, this is an opportunity I talked about the other day. I mean, I'm, I'm recording this as the Lakers in Denver are uh, – it's a two-point game. Denver's up two with uh, 33 seconds to go in the first quarter. But this is an opportunity for the Celtics to match up with the Lakers. But the Celtics also should, should have these opportunities over the next two, three, four years. And Tatum's – Maybe the number one reason why. That's the show. Next show will be a post-game four show. Hopefully the Celtics will have tied the series 2-2. So tune in 
to find out what I've got to say after that show, after that game. Please subscribe so you can get this show directly to your device whenever that show posts. So subscribe wherever podcasts exist. Follow on Spotify, wherever you want. Also, regular listeners, a five-star rating and a good written review would be awesome. So would sharing the podcast. Tell all of your friends, tell everybody to please listen to the Locked On Celtics podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network.